0: All right, we are live. Welcome to another episode of Roasting Marshmallows. My name is Rolf Suud, and I'll be your host. So we have done some presentations on Agile in the past, and usually the takeaway is that it is easy for companies to adopt Agile practices by starting to use certain Agile frameworks or even copying the Agile practices of other successful companies. This is usually uh, uh, done not by invitation to the people, but rather by command. And uh, it is not enough to make just the teams Agile though, because today's companies are expected to be flexible and both rapidly responsive and resilient to change, which basically asks them to be Agile. Lack of an overarching theory about how to expand the Agile manifesto has led to many fragmented attempts to apply Agile company-wide. Um, a book that uh, can help companies achieve true agility is Company Wide Agility with Beyond Budgeting, Open Space and Sociocracy. And today around the campfire we have one of the authors of that book, Jutta Extime. Uh, she works as an independent coach, consultant, trainer, author and speaker. She has helped many teams and organizations worldwide to make agile transitions. She's experienced in applying agile processes within medium sized to large distributed mission critical projects and has written about her experiences. She holds an MA Business Coaching and Change Management and a Product in Engineering and Bachelor in Education. Uh, if I get the diplomas wrong, then, <laughs> then uh, correct me. Uh, <clears throat> she's a member of the Agile Alliance, having served on the Board of Directors from 2003 to 2007, and a member of the Program Committee of many different American, Asian, and European conferences, where she has also presented her work. Uh, welcome, Jutta.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah. And uh, yeah, of course, we t- also have two other guests, uh, regular guests on the show uh, this morning. Panche, welcome.
2: Hey, thank you, all. How's it going? Really good, really yeah. good. Uh, it was a very um, ad hoc uh, agreement to record this, <laughs> and, but really excited about it, yeah. especially about the topics. And uh, so, like, yeah, really glad to be part of this uh, discussion.
0: All right. And another guest who also scrambled to make this work, I think he read the book in two days. Henrik? Ah, yes. Welcome. Yes,
3: thanks, man. How are you doing? Uh, looking forward for this, indeed. I consumed the whole book in two days. It was just, like I have a lot of questions, so I hope we can make a conversation, not an interrogatory session to her. <laughs> so uh, let's see. Yeah, Sounds
0: so cool. uh, yeah, so Yeta, so, the the book that we uh, the, we mentioned, like uh, yeah, the title was actually pretty long, so many subjects in that book are <laughs> are, uh, are covered. Uh, but 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 in the first place, like what drove you
1: guys to to actually write the book? Well, of course, we wanted to put all the buzzwords together and (laughs) that was our whole mission and so we we managed Uh, to do that.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, maybe a more serious question or or answer to that is that what we saw is that people who looked for company-wide agility that they were, I would say, stuck looking Mm -hmm. into Agile and trying to um, leverage, for example, Scrum all over the place, yep. and we just saw that this isn't the answer. We have to think beyond Agile, and also we we realized there's a lot of stuff out there. Well, on the hon- one hand, it was natural, for example, to look at sociocracy, mm-hmm. because this is the home in quotes for John, so my co-author. Yep. Um, yet. You know, stuff like beyond budgeting, money rules the world. And if yep. the budget is done in a specific way, then you cannot really be agile because the it defines how stuff is really run. If you fix it in advance, then there isn't much agility really out there. So, yep. um, well, I can go on and on. So the the, the core <laughs> thing I I would think is we were looking at what, What are the values or the drivers for a company being agile? And then what stuff is out there that helps to achieve that from very different perspectives?
3: Right.
0: And so you mentioned the sociocracy uh, a bit, um, which, you know, the the other terms of the title of the book I've heard about, but the sociocracy one, not so much. Uh, I have a vague idea of what it means, but could you maybe explain the term uh, a bit to, uh, to me?
1: Yeah, sure. So from from the, well, there are various definitions, but one definition mm-hmm. w- that I find easy is, as we all know, democracy is for society, so is sociocracy for organizations. So it's right. really sure. comparable to that. So it's on a different scale and it is like ruled by the socios and I'm not a Greek person, so it, that's Greek, which means, mm-hmm ruled by people who are associated to each other, which is different for a society where the, the perspective is, is much larger. And ruled by means here, especially that everything is, is aiming for equivalence. And um, everything means mainly how we deal with power. So how right. are we structured in terms of power? Is it centralized, decentralized? How are we making decisions with this, which is a a key way of um, showing power or mm-hmm. implementing power? And also here, so, and, and um, I'm, I'm happy to go into the details what sociocracy's answer is to that, but it's really around these things. So ensuring right. equivalence in an organization by looking at how is power distributed and offering okay. ways how to do that so equivalence can be reached. Okay. So I think
3: one question that, let's say, come to us all the time when we start, like, digging into more to this, uh, Wow. Well, apparently for us, new concepts that they are not very new, like what you have in your book, The beyond budgeting, open space was like, why can't we see this before? Like, why took it so long for us to actually stumble upon this? Like, do you have like, because I I read that this uh, beyond budgeting is more than 20 years. It's also like agile. So why don't we all know that? Why do we still need to explain this to a lot of people? From the companies like we go to no. consult and the the CEOs they have no idea or never even heard about the concept. Like do you know why is that?
1: Well, I I have my, my thoughts around that. So first of all, there are always people who are kind of ahead of what they are doing and they are also looking at at their specific area, like actual there the people looked at software development they haven't thought of well maybe those concepts can be used for company-wide agility that wasn't the idea back at the time they were looking at software and the same is true for like beyond budgeting was exactly looking at budgets first but now they also say well actually beyond budgeting is the answer to business agility now that we are all talking about that stuff Mm -hmm. right so First of all, stuff is always happening. And then the other thing is, I, I really think with with the huge success of Agile, people start thinking about these things in a different way. So what, what I see in, in companies happening are most often two things. Well, it's an either or. Um, the one thing is teams are using Agile and um, well, that, of course, they can also be not successful, but let's say they are successful. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah. And then other areas in the companies, a company are looking at that team or those teams and saying, oh, what are they actually doing? Can we learn from them? Can we also use stuff like that? And then you mm-hmm. see things happening like, I don't know, the marketing team thinks about using Scrum or something like yeah. that, right? That's Just because yeah. they want to copy that to their area. The other thing that I'm seeing is that those teams are quite successful, but then they get frustrated because they cannot really benefit from Agile in the way they could because the company isn't,
2: well, Agile enough.
1: And this then creates another pressure to spread it out. And therefore, people are more thinking right now, what can we do for, yeah looking at a company holistically and making it agile and then maybe uh, another driver why are we talking about this right now is digitalization which in my opinion just means most of the companies are now software companies no matter what their core product is so the the key differentiator between one product and the other is actually software and then software is nowadays most often implemented using agile. And then again, we, you have that spreading over the company. And then maybe the third thing is like VUCA that we see all over the place, right? That the just we cannot plan in the way anymore as we could in a few years mm-hmm. ago, and we have to adapt all the time.
2: Yeah, so the, the our discovery, actually, of your book that happened a couple of weeks ago, and right before that, we were exactly pondering on this question, like we've been in agile for like 10, 15 years, but some of these concepts like beyond budgeting and open spaces came to our prominence maybe a few months ago or something, and we've been like diving it. Then your book just wrapped them together because we mm-hmm. were already yeah. pondering about this concept. And the question that he posed, and then in your book now, you also say is the change of generations change the way we uh, think and behave in the workforce and the more like traditional hierarchy and uh, versus networked uh, way of thinking and working. Uh, is it maybe that, that also the answer why these ideas are finally fi- finding some fertile ground to nourish? Because like the millennial generation is, is coming more deeper into the workforce
1: yeah i i I'm pretty sure that this is happening as well uh, as uh, well also now with the pandemic i I guess the the push will be even bigger now because people have seen their different ways of working and maybe this is what I like more and and being more um self responsible for how I work where I work when I work and um all of that together is really um asking companies to be more agile also towards their work stuff. and agile mm-hmm. the way I use it most often is really more how you uh, explained it at the beginning Rolf, when you were saying like well what's required is companies being responsive flexible adaptive nimble all all of yeah. that right so not yeah. so much agile in any specific methods or frameworks thinking here Yeah, and um, I really think we will see more and more that for companies, it will be really tough if they are not agile to find and keep talent.
3: Yeah, yeah. Like uh, the the thing that I'm curious about, like sometimes we go to a company and we try to help them do agile things, right? And we have all this pushback from also from developers. So I wonder like how do you have that experience that you actually go to a company and you tell the CEO, yeah, you should go beyond budget. You should stop doing this thing that you're doing. Like, do they just listen to you and they say, oh yeah, sounds like a good idea. Or do you get like tremendous pushback like we get from developers to even doing some uh, basic things, at least we consider basic.
1: So what I've learned over all those years is that it's almost impossible to introduce a change just by saying, see the bright future in front of you, this is where we should go. So the the kind of thing that that actually often is talked about, you need the great vision and then everyone is following you. Mm -hmm. I don't see that this is really creating that traction. The thing that creates the traction is being aware of and feeling the pain you are in right now. Mm -hmm. And If you really realize what's the pain and then creating ideas, how to overcome that. This is the the main driver for any kind of change to happen. So back to that concrete question, it's Mm -hmm. very, very difficult to just say, well, look, there's this cool thing beyond budgeting that will really make it all super easy for you. Well. Not so much. This actually creates more fear than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. But then understanding with fixing the budgets, what are the constraints you're in and where you're losing money because you fixed all the money in the different buckets before and you cannot really react flexibly on a change in market, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also ensuring kind of everyone understands that very often companies throw out really money especially towards the end of the fiscal year, just because in various buckets, there is still money left. Yep. And, and of course, also people like me are benefiting from that. I really have to admit <laughs> that right then because yep. then they're asking, Oh, maybe we, we look for Utah and spend some money on training or consulting yep. or whatever. Yep. And uh, well I'm happy about that but maybe that's not the best use right no, yeah, yeah yeah so and and this yeah ensuring people are aware of the problems they're having and they ensure that they feel the pain this is I think the only way how you can get get any kind of change happening
3: yeah because I think the part that I I struggled with uh like I had this conversation also with a friend and he is talking about his company that he works for and like the CEOs and people that are there, they got there doing all these things like quarterly planning, making sure the budget is fixed and they control the budget. And they are in a pain point right now. And it still does not make this idea goes away, right? Like they are not open at all because like, wow, that's what brought me here. And I found that part, like, I definitely agree when you say that the pain point is definitely a huge trigger, but somehow it's still missing some other ingredient for they to really, like, open up to new ways that I believe is also better. Because I think it somehow sounds like they're, like, lying to themselves, right, as well at the same time. And I think they know it.
0: What do you, what do you feel like they think is, is their solution then? Like, uh, you know, the, the planning is the problem. It's the pain, uh, yes. you know, you and then the suggestion better. is exactly. So they, th- they say like, oh, we, we just need to plan better and spend more time planning. That's their solution.
3: Mostly, yeah. Or put more people to the job <laughs> or estimate better or estimate better, yeah. do your predictions better. <laughs> and Jutta, do you have like the same, uh,
0: uh, yeah, yeah. Comebacks from, from your clients as well.
1: Yeah, that happens too, and I I think one one problem is that often that that we in quotes so kind of change agents put put it like in a general word here term um, we often also think too big. So it, it's not about going to a company and say, okay, now you feel the pain, so let's go for beyond budgeting. So mm-hmm. what what's coming in now is more which is also part well, which is a big part of the Bossa Nova book is the probing aspect. So you you think about what is the situation you're in, what's your hypothesis would happen if there is like a kind of a small change and then you run an experiment, measure it, mm-hmm. and then you see if this helps you to get out of your situation and improve it. So basically it's doing, it's also basic actual stuff, doing like one step at a time, make the step as small as possible, and then also inspect the result of it. And, And not only just going into actions, which just creates too much fear and it's understandable. So it's not that, on us, I think, to say, well, they're stupid. They don't get it. That's not true. <laughs> they, The fear is real and for a reason. And they have seen stuff before that yeah. didn't work. And therefore, yeah, with the probing, it is a way of, uh, well, overcoming the fear and still making progress. Yeah. So, uh, so
2: I think you're going into a really interesting direction for, for me, like some of the, the questions that concern me a bit. Um, so if we look at the Beyond Budgeting, it has its own principles. Open Space spaces has its own principles, sociocracy, obviously, agile, obviously. Um, and there are different approaches and different different thinkers about it. So people would say, oh, you're not agile. To be agile, uh, you have to, like, tick all the boxes or to be uh, open space organization, you really have to do it, follow all the principles. Um, well, I also recall uh, some talks from, from Biarte on uh, Beyond Budgeting, like how they introduced it there. And, they're, and in his experience, uh, only now they're trying to introduce different way of doing measuring performance. So the introduction was really gradual and step-by-step. So in your experiences, do you need to... How would you go about a company that's, let's say, completely command and control at this point and like working with fixed budgets? Do you try to, to implement small steps or do you go like a really like, sort of big bang? Okay, this is what we're going to turn around.
1: So actually the way the the thing that helped me most in in my career was always starting with a a reflection and from an actual perspective I would even say starting with a retrospective on whatever thing we are looking at so a retrospective for me is not only for a team doing Scrum or XP or whatever, and looking back at the last two weeks or something, yeah. a retrospective mm-hmm. is, well, you could also say it's just uh, whatever, a reflection workshop or so, yeah. where you look at the problem that you are facing, considering what around that problem is at the moment serving you actually well, and therefore you really want to keep that. What is missing? And therefore you think there should be something added, what's maybe too much and you want to delete it and what seems to be really kind of difficult and you have to find out what we need to change. And then based on that, develop like one step after the other, which means And and I think that's, that's the, maybe the most important thing, which means that as a change agent, you are not going there and saying, well, I have the answer, just let's do this, right? Hmm. But it's more about empathizing with the problem they are facing and also empathizing with the success they had so far and not saying, well, whatever you've did so far is wrong and I know it better which is also not true because they are there for a reason and they're mm-hmm. at a at a stage in in their company's career for for a reason.
0: Yeah. Yep. And so when when you start with with these kinds of retros, one of the things that is important of course is that people are uh, open and honest and you you kind of need like trust, right? Like people to be able to trust you but also trust each other to be able to speak what they think is is wrong or what could be better. Uh so, have you ever faced situations where, w- w- yeah, where the atmosphere was so ruined that uh, that you just could not, that they did not have trust in each other, and they could not be honest during these kinds of
1: retros? Mm-hmm. So, um, most often, well, sometimes I can sense it, but sometimes, when, and that was the most often part. Um, I hear it already from the client. So the people who are hiring me that they kind mm-hmm. of say, well, I'm not sure if this will work out and because yeah. and so on. And yeah. then I find it much easier to stop with one-on-ones. Okay. And, yeah. okay. and very often, I, I'm not sure if I ever really experienced that. And maybe I, I don't know, I, I didn't realize it, but I, I mm. believe I, I have never experienced that. People will not open in a one-on-one with somebody who comes from the outside. You know, yeah. I don't have any, like, interest in making a career in this company or, or anything like that. I just want to understand. Yeah. And this helps already.
3: Yeah. So, like, so I totally agree the part on the, like, you go to a company, right? You're going to try to help and you empathize with them. But let's say now there's this CEO who wants to change, he feels the pain and he say like, Hey, I want an advice here. Should I start with B or should I start with A from the Boston Nova? Like what is the starting point for me and my team to basically trying to implement this more like, uh, yeah, agile way of working. Would you actually call it agile, even if it's for the whole company and beyond budget and everything, or would you actually call it Nova?
1: I'm. I'm. I don't know. I'm flexible here.
3: <laughs> and you already have a boss of a master or not yet?
1: No, no. Oh, that's a complete different topic. I think we have to meet about that at another point in time. I can go on and on about certifications. So um, just making sure I'm not at all in favor of certifications. Okay.
2: Oh, good. Good. <laughs>
1: except for i'm a scuba dive master and i think this certification is really serving Uh, me well and it's also hard to get
2: I also i think came across information that you're also a climber right
1: yeah but yeah i used to i really was climbing a lot but well i moved to northern germany and there isn't so much climbing well of course people who grew up here they say well there are great places but i kind of live too long close to the Alps and so that just doesn't count. (laughs) However, if I now would go to the Alps, I probably would right away fall down or whatever. (laughs) Be um, paralyzed in fear or something. I don't know. So I'm more into hiking because that's right now because that's um, easy to do here and also going every once in a while in in the Alps because it doesn't need so much preparation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have one. Oh, right. yeah,
3: I need the, I need my answer. So should the oh, C result on the B or on the so A? Have, on the... Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the answer is actually easy, which is where it's the biggest pain. And whatever that is. And very often actually companies have when 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 they they call me in or find me for whatever reason, they have already started somewhere. And uh, Classically, it is because I'm known as being an Agile something. Um, most often, they have started with Agile and are now ready to kind of explore something else. Yeah. Most often, it's more like, I would say, a kind of a sequence that I'm seeing is Agile, open space, and then there. are kind of parallel trails into being budgeting and sociocracy, they can go really good hand in hand. And now having said that, Sean obviously sees it in a different order because for him, the clients, there have already tried sociocracy and then they are discovering most often Agile as the next thing.
3: Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. And yeah, so during the, the the introduction, I mentioned that companies need to be, you know, resilient to change and, and you know, become agile. Uh, but another thing that is really popular nowadays or really needed as well, I think, is, uh, you know, companies to become more sustainable, uh, environmental. And I also saw in your Twitter feed that you did a workshop about the impact of the Agile Manifesto on the, on the carbon footprint. Um, it's maybe may a jump from topic to topic, but... Uh, you know, I do find that it is, it's it's important and uh, you know a good subject to talk about. So uh, I don't know, maybe you can you can tell us a little bit about uh, how the Agile Manifesto is related to to carbon footprints of companies.
1: So thanks a lot for bringing this up. And um, st- I I think it sounds like a jump, but I think it's not actually because. Okay. And referring back to the book, actually, that's our path fall which is the last part of the book where basically it's kind of the sound of well now that you're a a bossa nova company or having um, implemented company-wide agility are you done oh maybe Mm -hmm. not so much because if you claim you're an agile organization people have an expectation so The expectation is for example just looking at one part of of sustainability that you will pay your people fair that Mm -hmm. you have a kind of an ethics code here that you will not um live for benefit and profit on the cost of the community you are in and and all of that so if you are not sustainable or taking sustainability seriously Mm -hmm. I would say you cannot claim to be agile. So for me, this really comes together. It is a uh, saying. You're agile comes with a reputation that you can easily lose. Also with that, and yep. yeah, so this is that part of the answer. But you also ask about the agile manifesto, and I'm, <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. So, like in your in your Twitter feed, you uh, there is a there is a tweet where you said like, uh, have you ever wondered what's the impact of the Agile Manifesto on our carbon footprint? Um, and then you uh, did a workshop with uh, Claudia Melo about uh, about this. Um, so yeah, I was just wondering like how yeah how how do you how correlate those? Yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: Yes. So um, first of all, so we did together a workshop, and we will do another one on. Tuesday, upcoming Tuesday, well, probably, I'm not sure who is hearing this when, so it might be (laughs) um, uh, past Tuesday, Um, but also in fall this year, 2021. So there are also some workshops coming up. So that's that's maybe the good thing. So, um, yeah, the one key point is that very often, it seems to me, we think, we in software IT think we have the answer to like the carbon footprint. And just thinking of, well, we are recording this now remotely and nobody needed to travel like anywhere. And mm-hmm. so software made this happen. And, and which is true in, in various ways. Also, you could think of, well, an ebook doesn't kill all these trees and co- compared to a physical book, right? Stuff Mm -hmm. like that. However, actually, if you really look at stuff, so there's a lot of research out there and there are different forecasts. And one of the forecasts says by 2030, which is in nine years, Mm -hmm. um, it might well be true that ICT, information communications technology, the official term here, will use about 21% of the overall energy consumption. So that means we have a positive impact but we also have a huge negative impact and so it's about time that we look at this and what can we actually do to yeah, that this is not really happening. And and there, well, maybe one thing that I find is really also important is that sustainability is not only looking at like climate change, the carbon footprint yeah. mm-hmm. and all of that, which is a, a mm-hmm. super important mm-hmm. part. Yeah. That's uh, a one part of three. And this one part, like carbon footprint, protecting the planet is called the environmental aspect. But then mm-hmm. there's also a social aspect like aiming yeah. on ending poverty. Or also as the third one is the economic pro- aspect, which is about improving the lives and prospects of everyone everywhere, which kind of means, well, we cannot make profit at the cost of others, nowhere, no matter where they are sitting. So there are all these three coming together. Now, yeah. just maybe looking at, which is perhaps even a combination of... Um, the economic part and the environmental part which is looking at all the e-waste that's created. And if you just consider um, how often you might buy a new phone just because the apps are not running in a good way anymore and the, it's too slow mm-hmm. and, and whatever, this means software is most often the reason for all the e-waste that's created. And not only the software that's running on our nice phones, that's also true for software running on any kind of, well, servers, laptops, desktops, wherever. And so if we think about the, the software that we are creating, then we should also think about, um, well, does this require people to upgrade their hardware? Or what's the utilization of the CPU, CPU just because we are adding these features and maybe we can do this in a different way. And then also in in other ways, and we, well, we can look at, I don't know, maybe one, one of the principles, um, let's say business people and developers must work together daily throughout the project. Then you can also ask yourself, from the social perspective, are we maybe missing a, a perspective that provides some more important information and input for the product? And, well, this is actually a super important point because what what we see also very often that the products that we are creating, they are showing some bias. Yeah. So
0: and, yeah, this is about inclusivity, you mean? Uh, exactly. Certain, uh, certain groups. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: Exactly. and. Most often, well, I would say all the time, the products are not showing the bias because somebody thought, well, this is what we want the product to do. Yeah, I, I just can't believe that this is happening. However, what's happening is that we as software teams often maybe have our bias or are just too maybe too homogenous and not mm-hmm. diverse enough so that the product we are creating just by accident has that bias.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was uh, thinking about the part of because uh, I'm still on the sustainability part of, let's say, on the company side, and I definitely heard so many times, uh, more often than not, like uh, people saying, "Wow, I'm gonna go freelancing. I'm gonna do my own company because I'm tired of making money for somebody else." and like recently there is a lot of this guy, I forgot his name, the guy from Virgin who went to space. Right. And then it's Richard like, Brown. yeah. And then somebody commented something like, oh yes, of course a multi-billion dollar guy, you know, is going to space because he wants to save humanity, but he on earth, they don't really care. And then but I found this, this is a bit in a way like true, right? Like he could probably do more, but as of course his company does a lot, but then what does like, how do you also. Is it possible to actually drive such innovations and still be super sustainable when you are not the multi-billion dollar? Probably. Yes. But I think it's a, I, I can definitely relate to what you're saying about being a sustainable company to your people as well. And I think, yeah, mm-hmm. right now it's very hard to see that. But it, it's a
2: challenge because in the same time you need to keep track of endless parameters that you have in your, in your yes. work the environment more, yeah. and it's, it's just like the cognitive load of that is just tremendous. So I think moving forward, probably we'll be coming with some models and mechanisms to perhaps simplify some of this.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, there are several things to it. Um, the, the one thing is just because the quest is complex, doesn't mean we shouldn't start doing anything. It's, it's actually the same thing that, well, actually is actually good at because of this incremental approach and doing Mm -hmm. like one step at a time. And so for me, it's really more starting to ask deeper questions about how we are creating a product and what kind of product we are creating and just getting started with this, maybe every iteration just one question that would be a start and maybe it is longer than a, an iteration that we consider one of these things that that's yeah, also yeah. fine so that's one of the answer the other answer which i find uh, maybe even harder so i'm i have been also wondering with now well the race to the to the moon or mars or wherever to the space in general yeah. um, and we have all those problems on earth right and and all the money goes there and whatever however if i look at myself i i know compared to a lot of people well some people would say Well, oh, the way you are living is really super sustainable but you know i also have my areas where i'm not willing to give up or or what or is just still super important to me. And and who is out there who will judge, well what you're doing, this is really not right. And look at that. So I, I think that's the wrong approach. And it it should be yeah, I don't know, probably more the thing we We have to remind ourselves that this is a super important topic. Well, and the planet reminds ourselves on that as well. And, and therefore just get going and do one step at a time. And it will not be perfect, not on the individual base and not on the team base and not on the company base, but aiming for really making a difference. I think that's, that's just uh, the important step here.
0: Yeah.
2: And I I wanted to kind of circle back to a previous topic that that we discussed, something about trust in organizations. Ah, yeah. Um, You mentioned that you would, if you feel that there is lack of trust, you would approach one-on-one, and then the conversation is generally um, very open. And that is also our experience, and this is generally the way maybe we approach work at clients where we don't really know the terrain. Uh, But that... Because that's how we do it. And then we came across open spaces, open spaces, agility, open spaces, the beta codex. I was like, okay, but this is a bit counterintuitive to what we're doing. And so my, the, the, the question was always bubbling. Doing an open spaces, does that, in an, in an organization, where there is some corrupted trust, let's say. Does that give enough room? Does that create an, does the atmosphere for actually the, 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 the people to speak up?
1: Well, the the problem maybe with all of those false streams beyond budgeting, open space, social democracycracy and agile is that they all will deliver better if there is trust. And the good thing about all of those false streams is that they really also help to, that that trust is created. Mm-hmm. So it 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 is really on both sides. Now, what I once learned from Tom DeMarco, well, and it's probably a an idiom or something, is that trust always goes ahead. So there, well, there are of course also other sayings like um, control is better than trust or or something like that, right? But mm-hmm. if you are not showing you are having trust in someone some group whatever then these people cannot really show that they are trustworthy it always goes this way that somebody first has to trust them yeah. and um Maybe one example that that I've experienced now several times, which is um, on the open space part, and actually the open space part is maybe the most difficult part in the bossa nova section because Mm -hmm. so many people understand open space and have seen it as a facilitation technique. However, we don't mean open space as a facilitation technique. So that's fine if you use that, that's super helpful. But what we mean is, using the open space principles as a strategy in your company or maybe you could even say like this is the core culture of it or even the dna of of the company yeah. meaning always having this invitation out there that people can follow their passion worth responsibility and now back to like one ganz, very concrete example which is self-selecting teams so, you which is an open space thing, really. But if you say, well, the way we put our people into teams is actually not on us from whatever manager perspective, it is people choose what product they want to work on and with whom. And I have done that, I believe, the first time, I think it's like 15 years ago. And at that time, when when we said, well, let's try that, let's do that, we were all, including myself, a bit nervous about that. So, for example, will there be any topics nobody wants to work on because it's a boring topic? Will there be teams who are absolutely only seniors, experts, something, and then other teams who are the, sorry to say that, the laggers or so? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and. It, it never happened. It never happened. And we had so many discussions beforehand. What would we do if this happens, right? And because we, we feared, but first we showed trust. We said, well, you, you solved that. We had it open at that time. It was um, really on on site. Um, we had it in auditorium. People could sign up on flip charts and, and then cross their names out and go somewhere else. And actually, yeah. Surprisingly, they figured this themselves. So they figured that, well, there's a team who has really too much expertise there where that one hasn't. And so they talked to each other and said, like, what about if um, I move over there or you move over there and talk there and so on? And that just happened. Yeah and it's
0: interesting that you that that, that you mentioned that because <clears throat> at a client I experienced you know, a roughly similar uh way where uh you know the engineers could select a team like they could vote on a team that they, they would prefer to be working in uh but then the the key difference there is that the development manager in the end said like okay I now know all the preferences of the people and then I will make the <laughs> final spread of the people so you know I think it's really nice that that you give an example where the team themselves Say like, okay, you know, this team seems to be a bit lacking in in, in headcount or in in expertise, you know, let me move uh, uh, over there, which seems to be uh, yeah a lot more gratifying for the teams as well. Uh, Because yeah, I mean, if the if if the development manager makes the final selection and you get like your least favorite pick, then you're going to have unhappy people, whereas you feel yeah, whereas you feel that people can make their own decisions or like democratically, I think the the acceptance will be a lot higher.
1: You know, this is really a, a, a super example for a democratic decision in that way that you ask everyone's voice, but you're not listening to it.
3: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, well, par- partly, right?
0: <laughs> some yeah. people were lucky and some people were unlucky.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is a, 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 an easy way to lose all the trust. You know, if you first say, well, let's do it though next time, what would I do as a developer? I would say, well, it doesn't really matter anyway. Yeah, so they will decide. Yeah, yeah. So what why losing that time? But yeah. we found it important all the time when we did this. So in, in other cases, um, we use, for example, Confluence or any kind of wiki where, where people then sorted it out. And so if it was more remote setting, um, that you, you are not pushing that this will be solved in an hour or two or even in half a day. So... I, most of them, we used about two weeks for having that settled because things are coming up. And then, of course, what's also helpful is saying maybe three months later, we will revisit. And and the V is, again, the people finding, well, does it work or do we need yeah. to have any other shifts here yeah. or, or so? Yeah.
3: Yeah. I do have because also in the book, you mentioned something and we see this all the time now, right? Like in the past, the companies organized themselves, like you had the marketing department, sales department, development department. And now there is this uh, trend to say like, well, it should be a cross-functional team. And what I'm, let's say, failing to understand is, okay, we do an open space, we're going to figure out teams. But then let's assume, and maybe they never happened, right, but let's say you as a company you know, and you have, let's say, consultants that trying to say, hey, we should have a cross-functional team and these teams, they just get a bunch of back-end developers, like no sales, no marketing, no anything. Would this then be a case for intervention and like, okay, guys, this team cannot exist because you are not cross-functional or do you also expect the cross-functionality to naturally come in an sure. open space?
1: Yeah. So interesting. So first of all, it's a minor correction. So, we are not running this as an open space event right it's more following the open space principles here right it's not an event well and of course you could also do that but yeah Yeah. Um, and for the way we always did that was in advance looking at what's needed and we also did this together with with the people with various people sometimes with representatives from various areas and so we in the same way as we said well there's a team and because we will run in uh, using scrum then somebody needs to be the po and somebody needs to be the scrum master and so we also for that had people to sign up for it mm-hmm. you know they, they said. Right. Somebody said, "Well, I'm interested to be the PO here," and yeah. and that's what happened. In the same way, also in terms of like front and back end, whatever marketing and so yeah. on, we said, "Like, okay, this is the product, and probably we need people who know about this and that, or all." What we also always said is. Are uh, interested to gain expertise in this and that because we also wanted to have it open that somebody, let's use your example, who isn't a backend developer, maybe actually wants to become a frontend developer or yeah. something completely different. I don't know, right? But yeah, yeah. also saying, well, there's also a path <laughs> open here.
3: Yeah, I guess that's clear. So I think the main uh, question goes more to. I guess, the managers or the directors who are organizing those teams, like, why is it so hard to let this go, right? Like, because I can imagine for them, it's just they they are also trying their best and, like, they think that's the best combination. And, yeah, I, I actually wonder now, like, why is it so hard to just, yeah, let people do that? <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, because of fear. You fear things are getting out of control. It's It's letting yeah. go, which is
2: often Not easy no. um, we're slowly coming to uh, I guess the time limits. I have a, one question before at least from my side, maybe the last one I have so many, but I thought okay maybe this one i wanna <laughs> i wanna tackle um uh, so uh, as part of sociocracy uh, it drives a, on making decisions on decisions by by consent um mm-hmm. and uh One thing that really struck with me from the book was um, to decide on something uh, when no one has a paramount objection to the proposed decision. So, um, and I found that really, and it says that like the process then triggers does not require trust from people, but it sort of creates an environment structure where trust can build over time. Right. So, what, what for me was really interesting is that it requires people to... Uh, not agree with a decision, but to object with a decision to not accept the decision and I, th- I think that, is that maybe the the key turning point because then people still have that the sense of control they can they are not urged to agree, but they have actually the freedom to disagree, yeah like a mm-hmm. veto or something
1: yeah. it's yeah. the power
2: to say no yeah. yes. sort of to say yes
1: right and and for me there there are several things that come along with being successful in making consent decisions. So the first thing is exactly the thing that you're saying it, it is about acceptance and not about agreement. So I, I might favor something else than what's here on, on the desk, but can I live with that? Yeah, very much. So, so that's the first thing. The other thing is if I cannot live with this, if it's out of my range of tolerance then the permanent objection is always around why why do i think if we decide this way we might not be able to reach our joint goal so that the decision puts the joint goal at risk so again it's not me liking something or favoring something or whatever it's really still thinking well we want to do this thing together can we still do that or will this now not be possible because Mm -hmm. and and this changes for me a lot of stuff because now it means it's different than for consensus if i come up with the objection in consensus but i often see happening there is that then everyone starts convincing me that I'm wrong with my objection,
2: Exactly.
1: right? Versus in consent, the objection is super welcome. It's embraced because probably we have overlooked something which really would get us into trouble because we all want to reach that joint goal. So if somebody has figured, well, maybe we cannot reach that goal now anymore. Well, we better know about this, yeah. right?
3: Okay. okay, yeah. So th- would this be similar to that uh, Jeff Bezos, like, uh, how do you say, disagree and commit would be comparable to that or did I misunderstand?
1: I, I'm not sure. Can you, can you try to ask in a different way?
3: Yeah, so like, because I think there is just Jeff Bezos famous principle, whatever, Uh, like you go to a meeting and then you mm -hmm. always say like, yeah, I disagree, but I commit to it, right? And Mm -hmm, I wonder mm -hmm. if this is kind of the same philosophy uh, behind.
1: Yeah, it is similar. Yeah. yeah. I would say if I say I disagree, that's pretty harsh already. So it would be more that I think the, for me the wording should be different so I would say well I can live with this I can tolerate it so I would yeah. say and, or I say I don't have a permanent objection so I would think the wording needs to be less than that but I think yeah. The, yeah. the overall yeah trend is the same yeah,
3: yeah. And uh, my last question to you is related to uh, I think I remember this discussion with well I don't remember now who but somebody said like if you don't implement Agile, right, or you don't bring Agile to the company, or not Scrum, every team, if they just probe themselves, eventually they're gonna reach a framework like Scrum. At least that was what somebody said, and I found that an interesting uh, uh, observation that might be true. Do you also think if every organization is just probing themselves and experimenting things, eventually they would also get to beyond budgeting and all these concepts that the bossenova puts together, or do you think like? No, maybe there will come
1: something. Well, well, I think it is what kind of environment you are providing. Is it possible or not? The same thing is true with like any kind of team would figure out something like Scrum. I kind of agree because this is also the way I I try to help teams. Again, starting with a retrospective and they figure out what they need to do. And it's always a very agile something process they come up with. However, if the environment is not there that somebody is actually listening, then it's more that, well, especially the bigger the company is getting, the more rules and regulations you have in place. And because people feel, well, I don't know all those thousands of people and therefore I need to have something in place that controls them. And so I don't think, in, in this setting, it comes natural. It is a kind of a natural thing for a startup.
2: Okay. Yes.
1: So size makes a difference.
2: Yeah, startups are anyway, the most agile organizations we
3: know. <laughs> Until they yeah. grow, but that's the thing, but then they grow and they become again, yeah. the same command and control thing that we know of. So basically then if I hear you and is, uh, if you have a command and control environment, then probably this is never gonna emerge.
1: Yeah, exactly.
3: Okay.
1: Uh, all right.
0: Well, uh, yeah. If uh, I, I mean, we have a few more minutes, but I guess it might be good to 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 wrap it up. Um, I don't know, uh, Jutta, Do you have any questions for us? Maybe.
1: I, I'm just <laughs> impressed how fast you got into this topic, and I know you brought a lot of stuff with you already. It wasn't like you—you yeah. are newbies, of course, but still, I know the Bossa Nova stuff is. It's not easy. It is just too much and it's very complex stuff. Yeah. And um, I admire how fast you got really diving deep into that. So thank you so much.
3: Yeah. All right. For...
1: Yeah.
2: It's helped us also a lot to organize our thoughts around the topic. So no yeah. thank you for, for
0: actually exactly. doing it for us.
3: Yeah. yeah. For writing it and organizing all the ideas. <laughs> so now we just consume it as much. Simpler. Yeah. That's,
1: that's really amazing.
0: All right, well, uh, I would like to thank uh, Jutta very much for uh, for being a guest here. And uh, of course, also thanks to uh, Panche and Anik for uh, changing up the schedules to um, yeah make this happen. Um, yeah, you can follow uh, Jutta on Twitter if you would like to. Uh, it's at Jutta Eckstein, and we will provide you with some links in the description below. Uh, she's on LinkedIn as well, you can follow her there. And uh, she's written uh, a whole bunch of books, including the one that we just uh, talked a lot about, uh, Company-wide Agility with Beyond Budgeting, Open Space and Sociocracy. Uh, you can check out more of her books on uh, jxtein.com. again we will give you the link uh, yeah and uh, if you have any suggestions uh, you can also reach us on twitter for scouts and uh, yeah podcast at 4 is also the address for any other suggestions you might uh, have for us alright Jutta thanks again very much for being here and uh, see you guys later bye bye